Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment you're nailing it and the next you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Froyan. So today I have been wanting to talk about siblings stuff. And I taught a class at UW-Madison to parents on siblings and it was a lot. I tried to cover way too much in the one class. So I'm going to break it down into little bits today and over the course of the next few weeks. And I so I pulled my groups, the people who are in my online communities on Facebook, to find out what their biggest struggles were. And I also pulled people who follow my page. And it seems as if one of the biggest struggles parents have, at least in the groups that are following me or that I'm interacting with, is around conflicts. And specifically, how children will triangulate or bring in a parent to solve the conflict for them. And lots of parents are really interested in figuring out how to get kids to solve these problems themselves. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to offer you some mindset shifts, kind of reframes on how we view conflict that can change the way we feel as we enter into helping our children with them. And then some of my favorite strategies for teaching this important life skill. And so I want to start out, one of the things that I work with the most on parents really is is a frame of mind shift. Uh, so often we view our children and their fights with a lens that's kind of cloudy. It's like we have sunglasses on and we need to shift our lens and change the way that we view the conflict before we start trying to interact with the conflict. So I want to give you three major mindset changes today uh, that can help transform how you see the conflict and how you interact with it. So the first one is that we need to start viewing our sibling interactions between our children, and this applies to families that only have one child but engage in playdates or out at the park with other parents. So this isn't just for kids, okay? But when we see children in their peer group or maybe even outside of their peer group interacting together, we have to understand that conflict is an inevitable part of life. Disagreeing differing viewpoints, differences in desires or agendas and goals, those things are part of human nature and they're going to happen. It's simply a a part of being social animals. 
And so we need to start viewing conflict as a learning opportunity rather than something to avoid. And this can be really difficult for parents who've grown up in conflict avoidant homes. I grew up in a somewhat conflict avoidant home and that was really difficult for me as a person who really likes to be upfront and honest and authentic with my emotions and kind of bring things out into the open. I've kind of pulled my family, kicking and screaming, into being really direct with conflict and open and honest and vulnerable and compassionate, but it's not what's come naturally. And I happen to have married a partner who grew up in a very conflict avoidant home. And that means that when we see our children fighting, sometimes we get a little triggered because we think of conflict as being bad, as something to avoid. Um, it makes our heart start racing, our faces get flushed, we go in a little bit into fight, flight or freeze mode. And the problem with that is, is that the kids, if they're fighting, they might already be a little triggered and already be in a little bit of the survival brain mode, the brain that's working back here. And they need us to be better regulated. And so we need to calm ourselves down reframe these arguments as an, a learning opportunity, as a wonderful, beautiful chance to practice a skill that they're going to need for the rest of their lives and start viewing it as an opportunity to teach them and to coach them and to support them in learning how to do this really cool life skill. So the other one is um, I want you to start projecting confidence and viewing your children as capable and able to handle these disagreements that they get into. This is a part of human behavior that's always been there and it will always be there. And we are designed to handle it well. We, sure, we need skills that we need to learn, but we fully believe in the capability of children to learn all of the other skills that they need, skills like walking and drawing and writing with the right supports, you know, they learn those skills. It's the same for conflict. And so we just need to have lots of confidence in their capabilities and viewing them as capable and able to solve these problems on their own. We are kind of lending our confidence to them and it kind of projecting that onto them lets them feel confident in themselves and lets it feel like not like it's so much of an emergency or so much of a bad thing. And um, so that sense of confidence can be really important. Okay, and then the other big mindset shift that I want to offer you today is to recognize that when a children are in a conflict or a disagreement, particularly when one child has hurt the other child, maybe hitting or taking toys, maybe one is crying, we have to recognize that in that moment, both children are hurting and that both children have unmet needs. It can be really, really easy to take a side in these disagreements to see one child as the victim and one child as the aggressor. And it's really important that we approach these conflicts from a place, uh, the therapeutic term, I'm a therapist by training, the therapeutic term is called multi-directed partiality. And the basically the simple way of saying that is that we're able to hold space for both realities, both children. Both children are allowed to be hurt and have needs that aren't being met in that moment, even when they're conflict, when those needs are at odds with each other. And so it's really important to start seeing your children not as victims, not as aggressors, but as individuals with individual hurts and individual needs in those moments and approach the situation from that place. And so that plays in to one of the tips that I have that I'll share with you in just a minute. I want to make sure that we are super clear on these shifts. So viewing conflict as a learning opportunity, projecting confidence that your child is capable of handling these conflicts uh, with grace and compassion uh, most of the time uh, with support and learning new skills. 
And then also recognize that both children are probably having a hard time in this moment, that one's not the victim and one's not the aggressor, that there's probably kind of moving out of that framework and seeing both children as having unique needs that need support in those moments. So uh, now moving on to my tips for coaching. So one of the biggest things you can do, and my first step in intervening in a conflict that's heating up, well, the first thing you want to do is make sure everybody's safe. That there's physical boundaries set in terms of keeping people physically safe. So move over, get close to them with calm, kind of a calm, assured pace. Again, this is the projecting confidence. Like you know that they're not going to really, really seriously injure each other and get to a place where you are, are able to be present with them and intervene if things get physical. Okay. So getting close, connecting with them first, and then start describing or sports casting what you see. So say what you see, notice what you are, what's happening and say it without judgment or blame. So something like, let's say they're fighting over a toy. You can say, I see both kids are holding onto one end of the toy. Jenny really wants it. And so does Maggie. You're both holding on really hard. Maggie is saying mine. Jenny is saying, no, I had it first. And so you start sports casting. And for sometimes for older children, the fact that you've noticed and that you start kind of bringing the conflict out into the open is enough. And they can start building on the skills you've already offered them to start negotiating the conflict themselves. For younger kids, they'll probably start talking to you and you can continue to narrate and empathize and validate. So this next tip is to not take sides, to really get good at this idea of multi-directed partiality. That's a big term and we can maybe dig into that term in another time, but really what it means is not taking sides and holding space for both kids' realities, being empathetic and validating both kids' perspectives at the same time. And it can be tricky. This is a skill that you need to learn to do, but being able to say, you really wanted that toy. You were not done playing with it. And then being able to turn to the other one and validate their feelings of, and you really wanted it. You saw it, you feel like you saw it first and you feel like you should have a turn with it, you know, and going back and forth and holding space for both of them, getting them both able to express their feelings and be heard and seen in those feelings without invalidating the other one. And this is something that you have to practice. So doing some role playing with your partner can be really good and fun to do over, you know, dinner after the kids are in bed. And the other tip I want you to do is thinking about this from a skills perspective, we want to start scaffolding these interactions. And scaffolding is a term that comes from Vygotsky, who is a child development theorist. And the basic idea is that for young children, you provide a framework for how to have an interaction and you slowly remove supports as they get more and more skilled and need, you know, less and less intervention. You want to scaffold these interactions in a very intentional way. So older children will need less of your intervention and help and younger children will need more direct intervention. So when let's say somebody has grabbed a toy, you can, you can intervene and have them validate that they would really like a turn with the toy. The other one isn't done and then help them come up with a term. What would you like to use it next? You would, okay, tell her, I would like a turn when you're finished. When will you be done? And then if the sister says something like, I'm never going to be done. I'm not going to be done until, you know, I, we go to bed. 
Now you can validate, but okay, so it sounds like you really want a long term with this toy. You're not going to be done for a long time. Is that right? Yes, I need a long term. And so you kind of go back and forth. You become the mediator, like a legal mediator and help them see each other's side point of view. You hold space for each of their desires, but you kind of really scaffold this interaction. And then as they get more and more skilled, you pull back. So in doing this with my own children, I have a just turned three year old and a five and a half year old. And we started really specifically attending to scaffolding this, these interactions with them. She was about two, my youngest was about two. So we've been doing this for about a year with really like focused and attention. And now the intervention that we need during their conflicts is to be able to say, come in, sports cast, what's going on? Um, I see you two are, you know, both want to play with this, talk to each other. I'm confident you can work it out. And then they start negotiating and they become really good negotiators with each other. And sometimes when we step out of it and don't make all of the suggestions for all of the solutions, they can come up with solutions that are really, really interesting and creative that grownups would never have thought of. So as much as I'm talking about intervening, the goal with your in intervening is to teach them skills so that you intervene less and less and they start getting creative and problem solving together. They just need the skills and the words to do it. Let's see. Kayla says, I'm pretty good in the everyday recognition of each kid's need. How would you recoup from emergency reaction? Like, no, don't step on his head as I walk over quickly. Like if somebody is in actual danger, you do have to move quickly. You stop their bodies. And then I would take a minute to, and I would actually say out loud, everyone's safe. And with, well, with any child, if I see them attempting to hurt their sibling, I usually use the words, I'm going to help you stop yourself. I know in their heart of hearts, deep down, no matter how angry they are, they really don't want to hurt their sibling. Are your children bickering and fighting constantly? Are you dealing with hitting, kicking, biting, and wondering what to do? Are you tired of the jealousy and hearing, that's not fair? Are you wanting to help your kids have healthy, long-lasting relationships and friendships? Hi, I'm Anna Seawold, host of the Authentic Parenting Podcast. And I'm Laura Froyen, host of the Balanced Parent Podcast. Join us for a live, dynamic, two-part workshop to answer all your sibling questions. We are going to dive deep into the key mindset shifts that you need to confidently navigate your kids' relationship with each other. And you will add critical tools to your toolbox that will help them take ownership of their relationship and start solving their own problems so that you can stop feeling like a referee or a whole monitor. The workshop is happening on October 21st and November 4th at 11 a.m. Central Time, 12 p.m. Eastern. And you can get all of the details and sign up now at laurafroyan.com slash sibling. And of course, the link is in the show notes. I do want to mention that members of my Balancing You membership community get 10% off of this workshop experience, and we hope to see you there. You don't want to miss this opportunity to sit down and pick our brains on this complex topic. All right, they're in fight, fight or freeze mode. And if they're hitting, they're literally fighting. And that is a triggered impulsive reaction that they don't have the skills to stop themselves. And so I hand them that language that 
I'm going to help you stop yourself. Recognizing their intentions toward their sibling are good, that they don't want to hurt their sibling. I will sometimes even say, I know you don't really want to hurt Evie. My oldest is the one who does more of the hitting. I know you really don't want to hurt Evie. I'm going to help you stop yourself. No, I can't let you hit her. I know you're very angry right now. And then you say, you coach them in verbalizing and recognizing their needs. So with my my older one who is like at the age that yours is now, Kayla, I think is your older one four. My oldest was about three. We went through a phase where she would be start hitting or pushing seemingly out of nowhere. And we of course couldn't let that happen, but we started to recognize that she would do that when she hadn't had enough one-on-one attention with one of us. And so in those moments, we coached her to recognize that need and to ask for the need to be met in a way that was socially acceptable. So she was asking for one-on-one time by hitting or pushing her sister. And instead we taught her, you know, when you start getting pushy with Evie, that tells us you need some alone time and we are happy to have alone time with you. And so if you start feeling like you want to push or hit, just say, I need mommy alone time or I need daddy alone time and we will whisk you away and we'll have a nice playtime together. And what's amazing about giving her that language, we would see it happen. We would see her go to start pushing or raise her hand back to hit, stop herself and say, I feel like hitting. I need some mommy alone time. And we would just come together and kind of get her to the alone time that she needed. And so I think sometimes we don't bring that out into the open enough with our kids and bring our thought process because they're not as capable of thinking those things through in their heads. They don't have the, the cognitive ability to do it. They need to do it out loud. And so bringing that out loud, that regulatory process of I need to stop myself and I need help stopping myself. It needs to be more tangible for these younger kids. They aren't as able to do it inside their own heads yet. Giving them the language, you know, helping them recognize their own cues and then helping them engage in those regulatory behaviors to stop themselves, I think is really important. I hope that helps. It's so wonderful to help our children take ownership over their relationships. And conveying that we have confidence that this is something they can do is so lovely. And I feel so proud of my kids when I see them start to do this. And, you know, now we're at the point where when they start saying, mommy, mommy, somebody did this, or daddy, daddy, somebody did this, we're able to say, oh, this happened? What can you do? And they work it out together. And, but it takes effort. It takes a concerted, like I said, we've been do, like, spending like an intentional amount of time for a year in coaching them in these skills. Um, so it's not going to happen overnight, but teaching them a few phrases, helping them, supporting them, scaffolding those interactions, and then slowly withdrawing your support just to see where they are. And then you can always come back in and offer more support during times when maybe they have less self-regulation abilities, they're tired, they're hungry. We all get hangry sometimes. So recognizing that they might need more support at different times. Let's see. Laura May Walker. I'm having difficult with an 11 month old and a 27 month old. The baby follows the toddler around everywhere and just wants to take everything from the toddler. Mm. Okay. So that's super normal because your 11 month old is learning from the 27 month old. Um, the older sibling is the most attractive learning partner for your younger one. We're social learners by nature. That's the way that we are. We learn the best as humans, as primates, particularly from the fellow young. And so um, your 11 month old is biologically driven to learn from your 27 month old. And it's 
very natural and normal that your 27 month old would be super annoyed by that. Yeah, she says toddler doesn't appreciate it at all. No, I, I can understand why that would be super annoying. The best thing you can do is to have coach your toddler make sure that your toddler, your older toddler, has a space that's just theirs. 27 months old don't need a big space. So it can be a small space. When my kids were those ages, we had the play. He always says it's baby's nap time. Of course he does. Oh, oh man. Being a big sibling is hard. And you can validate to him, like, man, being a big brother is rough sometimes. And the fact that maybe he misses one-on-one -on -one time with you, time alone with you where he doesn't have to compete for attention. But those are hard things. But making sure he has some quiet, some space where he can play with his things alone would be really great, where the baby can be gated out. And coaching him to, again, recognize, like, I'm getting tired of my brother following me around. I need to go to my alone space. And you give him a name for it and give him that space. There, You can get really creative in even in small, I don't know what your living situation is, but I work with a lot of families who are in student housing, so they're graduate students, um, and they're in very small apartments. But we figure out ways to get those older siblings, even in like two-bedroom apartments, we help them get their own space, even if it's just like a little pop-up tent that the little one isn't um, allowed in. And then you firmly defend that boundary, that child's boundary. And then you can also talk to your younger one. You can validate that they want to learn from their brother, that they want to play, you know, that their brother's toys are really fascinating, but I can't let you. I'm going to stop you from following your brother. He doesn't want to be followed right now. He's not ready to play. He wants to play on his own. So when they're younger, like you have two very young children, you have to be more intervening. But you can set the stage right now, and you can also give that 27-month-old the language to use with his brother. So be able to say to your brother, tell your brother that you don't want to be followed. I want alone time. Tell your brother, I want alone time. And you can really coach those things with them. Heather says, I have a closet that my six-year-old can go play in with his Legos. Oh, great. See, a closet. Perfect. They don't need a lot of space. They love little caves and hideouts. That's a thing that they love. So good thinking, Heather. Nice job. So I made a meditation album. It's a quick five minutes meditation, a self-compassion based meditation. And the idea is that you can use it with your family. And so I'm bringing it up within the context of this discussion because it's another tool for your family toolbox for moments where maybe you've had a day where everybody is just getting on everybody else's nerves. Some days, like the flow and harmony in the family is just awesome. But some days are really rough. And I made this meditation to help shift the mood, shift the energy of the house. And so I wanted to offer this tool. I'll put a link to it where you can go and download it. But I just wanted to offer that out there and let you know that this is something that I use with my kids to shift the mood. And it's also something you can do on your own as a daily practice. And what research shows us is that meditation has the ability to shape and rewire our brain so that we are able to be less reactive and respond with more intention in the moment. And it can also really calm our nervous systems. So let's see. Respectful Parent Connected Kids says, I love that you mentioned that sometimes kids just don't have the social capital to solve their squabbles. I see that with mine all the time and sometimes forget to have extra patience and compassion with them for that. It's so true, you know, sometimes they just have more abilities and sometimes they're drained. Like at the end of the day, I think that most families that I work with mention that the end of the school day when they come home from school or daycare is the hardest time. Parents' energies are sapped, 
kids are done and it's rough. And so offering compassion to each other in those moments can be really great. Actually, I have a couple families who've been using this this meditation that I'm going to link to. They use it as their connection ritual for when they enter the house. So they come in, they all sit down on the couch, they play this meditation. It's only five minutes long and it helps center them and helps them move into their time together as a family with intention and with compassion and with gratitude for their family members. And they have a much more relaxed, enjoyable evening. So that's one way you can use it to bring more compassion and more gratitude into your family with kind of using it as a ritual. Um, it's really nice. So I'm going to put that link to the meditation on. I hope that you'll download it and share it if you think you have friends who would be interested in it. But yeah, it was so nice to get to see you guys. I loved the interaction we had going today. Love helping you out with all of these things. Let's see, Laura says, my nine-year-old never acknowledges when he's hurt the seven-year-old's feelings. Ah, oh, that can be so hard. Wow, you have a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old too? Whew, you are a busy mama and a blessed mama, right? So the nine-year-old, I am guessing, has some feelings of guilt and shame around having hurt their sibling. And I don't know that necessarily have to force apologies or force recognizing. And another nine-year-old. <laughs> okay, so maybe Google, you know, why we don't need to force apologies. But, and maybe Google also restorative justice. So one of the things that they, the self-compassion meditation does, it teaches people to be forgiving and loving to themselves first. Because you can't offer forgiveness to someone you love without first offering it to yourself because it just won't be heartfelt. It won't be as fulfilling as it would be. So the meditation might help. And nine-year-olds can be really good at those things, especially if they're maybe learning it in school, um, which apparently lots of nine-year-olds are these days. I don't know that I'd worry too much because I would imagine if they're refusing to say they're sorry, that they probably are quite sorry and they will offer an apology or recognition in some other subtle way. I don't think we have to demand it or worry about it too much. And I think that we can model forgiveness and model apologizing and trust that those things will come with time as we kind of nurture the relationship between the two kids. Well, I think we're going to sign off now. Uh, if you have any suggestions or ideas for other topics that you'd love to hear about, please let me know. I hope you all take really good care of each other, take care of your families, and take good care of yourselves. All right, bye. Okay, so thanks for listening today. Um, remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review. That really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right, that's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other, and most importantly of yourself. And just remember, balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.